Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to the Derby episode. It's episode 259 of the Yellow Oil Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. Welcome to the show. Hello, Stefan. Thanks for having me on again. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, it's been a busy week, I hear from you, but uh, there was no English week for once. So uh, what have you been doing in recent days? This little thing called work, and uh, with the Christmas holidays fast approaching, there are a million different things it seems going on at kids' schools, and so it's 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 been a rather busy week because everybody needs to cram everything into the same week. It seems. Yeah, apparently so. Um, but yeah, happy Nikolaus, Matthias. I haven't said it before, but uh, it's the sixth of December. So uh... yes, happy Nikolaus to you too. Did you get anything in your stocking today? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> but see, I did. I oh, did. you did. What did you? What yes. did you get? I got a candy cane and a Toblerone bar, and the kids got a heck of a lot more than I did. <laughs> I'm sure they did, but yeah, I can, I can tell your wife is Swiss if you get a Toblerone bar. <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, how how do you eat these without um completely losing all your teeth, though? Slowly and methodically, and she's learned to buy the small ones, so they're a little bit easier to bite. I see, the PV Toblerone version. <laughs> All right, anyway, so I, I guess let's let's kick this off here, and before we talk about the mother of all derbies, the Review Derby, we have to, of course, dissect Borussia Dortmund's 2 nothing win over SC Freiburg, which means... They are seven points ahead of Gladbach now on the table because they lost to Leipzig. And uh, Leipzig are now eight points away. And if we talk later about the Derby, um, Dortmund have a higher margin to Schalke than Schalke have points. But uh, for more math on that later, I guess. Um, so, Matthias, uh, as we already established in our pre-talk, you do not remember anything whatsoever from that game. It's been a million years <laughs> So um, please tell me what we've seen in this game and what we can learn well, from it. Well, what we can learn from it is that even though we both thought that Freiburg would maybe play more openly against Dortmund, uh, they didn't quite <laughs> play that way. Man, didn't I predict um, like a 4-2 win or so? Man, yeah, I was, yeah. I went 3-1. So yeah. yeah, at least I got the goal margin Correct. Well, so did it, I. Well, so did you. So did you. So did you. I was closer. I was closer. Um, <laughs> no, it it was hard to say what to make of it because Freiburg thought they could emulate what Brugge or Mainz or somebody like that did. But the big difference is they didn't quite do it right. And they have Dominic Heinz in central defense, uh, which obviously is, is seemingly a bit of a liability these days. Hard to believe he was once linked with Dortmund not too long ago. 
uh, I think, what, two seasons ago, maybe? Um, or even a season ago when Stuga was there? Um, no, I mean, Dortmund were the better side. Dortmund had way more possession, played more passes, better passing percentage, one more uh, tackles and duels. Um, and at the end of the day, won a labored... 2-0 victory, but a clearly deserved 2-0 victory. I don't think there's much debate about that, necessarily, but uh, it, it was kind of what I, I wrote on Twitter, that these are the kind of matches that are very important to win. They're not always pretty. They don't always look nice. You have to have a lot of patience, and they look very labored, but it's just the nature of the beast now that clubs are not trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dortmund, necessarily, but rather... Uh, just not lose the match, uh, not do a Nuremberg, so to speak. And that negates some of Dortmund's strengths this season. Uh, but they still have other strengths in the sense that they're just a really good squad. Yeah, I mean, for, first I want to defend uh, Dominic Heinz just a little bit, even though he didn't look good. But, you know, Jaden Sancho just was too on fire, I guess. Uh, I think he had like the most clearances and the most interceptions or something. So he actually, you know, his contri contributions in defense weren't terrible, but, uh, you know, he, 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 he looked like <laughs> Dominic Heitz at some points because he's not the mobile, most agile player in the Bundesliga. And uh, that's always going to be a problem if you go up against, uh, nifty dribblers like Jaden Sancho, who I think had, I don't know, was it his best game of the season? Um, and my uh, colleague and friend, uh, Archie Rintut asked me that. Um, I, I think it's his best game, maybe might still that one against Bayern, even though the first half was a bit poor, but you know, considering the opposition and the tricks he pulled there were also quite amazing. But of course, Sancho won the penalty against, um, Heinz in the first half, which, uh, yeah, was very important because the longer this game is scoreless draw, the, the likelier it is to remain one. We just saw against Bruges what happened. And of course, uh, yeah, he had that finishing move as well. He was highly involved in the two nil and in stoppage time. Um, and of course that, that, uh, yeah, double nutmeg or whatever it was that, that went viral, which was another cool trick in stoppage time. But, um, in in broader terms, maybe of course it's it's a shame that Zagadou is out injured now um, and probably will miss the derby. But in broader terms, what I really liked is um, that Dortmund once again kept their opposition to one shot on target. Um, I think that was the uh, I don't know if it was the the free kick that rattled the bar by Gondorf, where uh, Roman Bürki was really really lucky that it not bounced back off his uh, back and into the goal, but. Uh, this to me is, is, uh, something that I really like about this Dortmund team that you do not sit there and have eight heart attacks. So, um, the, the counter pressing especially is, uh, really, really interesting because Dortmund of, I think there were one or two situations with, with uh, Zagadou and Hakimi where they had like this last ditch defending, which they mastered well, but overall Dortmund counter pressed so well that, Freiburg were just completely pushed and, and pinned back and it only really got a little bit better toward the end, uh, where they had one counter attack where Uma Toprak made like a positional error, but otherwise Dortmund have found an enormous way to defend either high up the pitch or like a midfield press or even if they fall behind and that's 
what we were all talking about when Lucien Favre got appointed and um, now we sort of see it in action because in such a game it's so easy to be sucker punched by Freiburg as they did I think last year it was a 2-2 draw or so where Jeremy Toyan found a late equalizer but I remember uh, Niels Petersen having that outrageous goal from like 40 yards out or so um, but that wasn't the case at all um, Petersen was nowhere to be seen really in, in, in this game and you know this is to me the backbone of what is probably going to be Dortmund's championship winning season just this this defensive stability overall that to me is more impressive than than their attacking department right now also because the attacking department cannot be that impressive when you uh have to play against teams that play what was it like a 5-2-3 or, or a 5-3-2 switch around a little bit in this game but yeah i guess this is just something we have to expect now so yeah who who else did you see that like stood out for you in this game well, I mean, it was – we both talked about, hey, who should start, who should play where, where, who should get a rest. Uh, I guess it wasn't a shock that Michael Roy started again, um, and he's doing okay. Uh, I I did hear, I think, on some other podcast that we need to talk about how Michael Roy, how many chances he misses versus how many he makes, but – when someone scores nine goals at this point in the season, I don't think we could complain too much, um, uh, especially because he's not an out-and-out out striker. We also can't forget that necessarily. Uh, you know, overall, it was a good team performance. Um, I what I think we both said, oh, hopefully it's not going to be Delaney and Witzel centrally, uh, just from a creativity standpoint, but... They did a decent job because uh, you've mentioned it more than once. When Delaney is given time, he's a really good player. I mean, he's a, he's a good player, but it makes him look really good. And Freiburg didn't really put him under massive pressure. So it, it all seemed very, very comfortable overall. Um, I think, I mean, the penalty, like you said, Sancho, fantastic run. It was a penalty. Um, and of course, Paco Alcacer getting another goal as a substitute. There is just, I, I said it kind of jokingly, but honestly, I don't know if we should ever start him in a match because he's just so <laughs> he's dangerous coming off the striker. bench. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Guts actually played quite well again. Uh, he's becoming more and more comfortable in the role that he plays. It's a little bit less direct than, than what Paco does. But, um, overall, I think he's getting better and better. So no, I, I have no complaints aside, of course, from Zagadu injury. And Toprak also didn't look like a fish out of water, but that's probably also because he was never really tested. But that's good. I mean, that gets him a little bit more comfortable because he's probably going to have to play a few more minutes in future and to not look as bad as he did the few times he did play so far this season is a big bonus for Dortmund. Yeah, certainly, because, uh, you know, centre-backs tend to be injured quite quickly. Uh, I mean, Manuel Kanji was also out for this game and uh, it wasn't until today to me not entirely 100% clear if um if he could play but uh, yes he's fit against Schalke but you know if we need to talk about someone who also almost scored the game was uh, Lukas Piszczek 
because to me he is uh, having yet another spring in his career. Uh, it's just just amazing the uh, amount of form he is having. Obviously, also uh, ex Favre player who uh, he played with uh, in Berlin, and a lot of people always say that the club made a fullback out of him, but that's not entirely true. It was actually Favre. Um, Klopp just spotted it and, and took it over and made it like successful because Pischek was one of the best right backs in the world for a couple of seasons, like four years ago or so. And, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's quite tremendous to see how, how well he links up with Jaden Sancho currently. And, uh, it's, it's a joy to watch because, uh, you know, especially I have counted him out so many times and it's good that he has turned it around. And, uh, yeah, obviously one of the, uh, more, well, one of the fan favorites in there, in that team. So, um, yeah, very well to, to see him do well. And, um, one more point. What, uh, I liked is that Dortmund made a little step forward in playing against ultra defensive teams because against Bruges, they had a lot of runs, but failed to make the pass in behind the defense. And, uh, Dortmund managed that, I think, two or three times now against Freiburg, where they just dinged or chipped the ball in behind the, the uh, center backs of Freiburg and had a run to the touchline and, and then just the cutback never connected. But uh, it's it's good that they started to create these chances and eventually, um, yeah, they will score from that and probably probably will do so in the next few games, maybe already against Schalke, who knows. But um, yeah. It's it's good to see that they are working on stuff and and things are improving again. So um that you know if you have two very similar games in in a row that you can see that they've learned from the other game and and moved on and forward and yeah. Also I guess kudos to Maximilian Philipp who doesn't get a lot of playing time these days but uh yeah his hustle at the end yeah sealed the game for Dortmund as well. He had a hand in there so yeah that's very cool. Um, Matthias, again, do you think that was Sancho's best game? I would say so, yeah. If you look at the entire match, not just one half, um, like against Bayern, where the second half he just tore Bayern a new one. This one, he was, in my opinion, probably the most do uh, dominant Dortmund player in there, which is worrisome if you're one Christian Pulisic, which I'm sure we're going to still talk about on today's show. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was, is his best match. To me, he was the best player out there. Uh, it's great to see his development this season. I mean, him and Zagadou, their development this season versus last season when they came into Dortmund as very, very young players. They're still very, very young. They're still teenagers. Um, have, they're, it's, it's scary almost. And it's amazing that players that young of that caliber Dortmund could get from clubs like Man City and PSG for the, at the end of the day, the price tags that they got them for. Also, when you factor in salaries and you think about the reports that have come out recently that Sancho possibly could have gone to Bayern or possibly could have gone to Real Madrid and he's sitting at Dortmund, uh, it's quite the, uh, I'm not gonna say fortunate turn of events, but yeah, it's it's been great to watch. I mean, it's not a fortunate turn of events because Dortmund have earned that label as you know throughout an entire decade. I want to say you know that they are the number one address for 
you know, the most talented players in the world, basically. You know, Jaden Sancho, as, as you said, could have picked any other club, but, uh, you know, he went to Dortmund because other players very young have made him before, um, have made it there before. And, you know, Usman Dembele, for example, or Pulisic as well. You know, they're just such a, such a great, list of names you know even mario Götze, you know who who started out there as as an 18 year old and nuri shine of course and and over the years there are just so many talents dortmund have managed to develop and with that you can you can just attract these youngsters so it's i think something you know young players coming through dortmund ranks and and really playing well beyond their own years and their own maturity um then that's something that's probably not going to go away in the next five or six years just because of the the image Dortmund have built for themselves and they can be very proud of that because they are obviously a selling club and this will never change I think so this is basically the ideal way to to make a massive profit on by the developing young players every club that's not in the top five of the world is trying to do that and Dortmund have put themselves in such a good position. It's it's just amazing to see how they're also just consistently doing that. Obviously, it's not working out with every player, as I always say, for every, uh, you know, Usman Dembele, who, uh, I mean, who went for like a record price. There's an Emre Moore, you know, the, the Leitners and Bittenkurts and Alexander Isaks, I guess, that haven't quite made it in Dortmund but uh you know if we talk about young players I also thought Hakimi played well again um even though there's often a lot of space in behind him uh he covers it well he recovers well if he goes forward so um yeah just having him as another fullback option is great and now for the derby Marcel Schmelzer is back and I really do wonder what what Favre will do and uh I guess we can also just segue now for for that game because it is the mother of all derby so to speak even though i think if we if we're quite honest it's uh, probably boca juniors against river plate but i don't want to open that can of worms now so matthias um for first time listeners maybe uh what's the meaning and history of the Riviera derby well the Riviera derby obviously is talking about the gelsenkirchen base club schalke 04 and borussia dortmund uh, very short distance from each other. It is by far the deepest seated, most passionate current rivalry derby in Germany that's being played out in the top flight. Um, I mean, some people can make an argument for some other clubs somewhere else, but it really, there's no rivalry in the Bundesliga that comes close to its history, the meaning, especially for the most I would say football fanatical geographic area of Germany, which is the Ruhrgebiet. Um, Dortmund and Schalke, this will be what the 174th, I believe, uh, Revier Derby. Uh, but it really didn't become a massive sporting rivalry, honestly, until the 1950s, because before that, Schalke were so dominant and Dortmund were not. I mean, think about it until. Uh, the start of the Oberliga after World War II, Dortmund only spent a very brief time in, in a top flight league, whereas Schalke was one of the dominant sides in the 1920s and 30s, and Dortmund were an also ran side. Um, 
aside from from uh, Lenz, of course, the only really good player of Dortmund pre-1950s. And then it was kind of that changing of the guard in the 1950s. The last time Schalke won a German championship was 1958. And that came after Dortmund had won their first two in 56 and 57. So it was really a marker set by Dortmund. And Dortmund continued their success after that, winning uh, the last German title before the Bundesliga, winning a, a European Cup before uh, a Schalke did with a Schalke legend, Stanley Buda, scoring the winning goal against Liverpool in the Cup Winners' Cup. And even though Schalke had kind of, I would say, a resurgence in the 70s when Dortmund fell on hard times and got relegated, Since the 80s, when Schalke got relegated and Dortmund was back on top, it's all been Dortmund with a few cup and one UEFA Cup win by Schalke, which in the same year, Dortmund won the Champions League, of course. Um, it's kind of morphed that over time from Schalke being the dominant side to Dortmund being the dominant side. And uh, it's just... You're either blue or you're yellow in the Ruhrgebiet. We'll just ignore Bochum for now. Um, and Wattenscheid and all of them. But it's, it is the most important derby, the one with the most meaning to the most amount of people. Uh, even though we had, of course, quote unquote, der Klassiker, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, that is nothing when it comes to a real rivalry and real derby, which is Schalke against Dortmund, which, I mean, we can't forget, Schalke, I still have great memories of, you know, well, it was a horrible memory, Jens Lehmann in the Schalke goal, who would later become a Dortmund keeper, scoring in a, in a Revier Derby. But I also remember in a Revier Derby when Dortmund ended Schalke's title hopes. I th want to say it was Ebi Smolarek who scored in that yes, match. Definitely. Um, it was Alexander Frey in the first half Frey, and yep. then Smolarek in, in the seventh half, absolutely yeah. volleying it past Neuer and then just jumping on the fence of the Südtribüne and, and, you know, it was a complete madhouse. It was in 2007. And uh, you can go on YouTube and, and just look at these images to, to get yourself into the derby mood because you see a lot of Schalke tears. And if you're done with that, you can just enter vier Minuten Meisterschaft if, and then you find more Schalke tears. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great day, especially seeing Andy Müller cry as a, Schalke player. Anyway, um, traitor. But it, it, it's, it's definitely the most passionate one. It's interesting because the last match day, the Freiburg match, they had Steffen Freund, uh, on the English feed here in the US. And Steffen Freund, um, when he left, I think it was Stahl Brandenburg in, in East Germany, he joined Schalke. And after Schalke, he went to Dortmund. So there's, there's also a history there of, Schalke Dortmund players swapping. Uh, Freund would be one, Müller would be one, Lehmann would be another one that just spring to mind off the and top of, course, of my head. And of course, Felipe Santana. Taylor Santana, uh, and of course, uh, um, um, Christoph Metzelda, yes. Münster's own. Christoph Metzelda did the same thing. Obviously, there was Real Madrid in between. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... It's it's really the most important match in Germany if it doesn't have to do directly with it's where where positioning of the table matters less than the match itself. Let's put it to you that way. Yes, and and with that, of course, as I said previously, Dortmund are 19 points ahead after 13 match days, which is just unheard of. 
Um, especially considering Schalke finished second last season, but uh, we'll get to that in a second as well. So um, considering that Dortmund are unbeaten, Schalke have 14 points, they have um, just uh, four wins this season and two draws and seven losses. I mean, they lost the first five games of the league and, and Dortmund, of course, are still unbeaten. So going into that Revier Derby, do you think Dortmund have more to lose? You know, literally because, you know, Schalke could snap their unbeaten streak or is it Schalke who have more to lose because they are in freaking 12th place right now? You know, that's an interesting question. And I've been thinking about that ever since that question was posed to Michael Zorc in the press conference today, uh, where basically the same question was asked to him, like, are you more relaxed because of the big difference in points between Schalke and Dortmund? Or, you know, are you nervous because Dortmund could lose its first match against that rival? And, you know, he, he talked about it a little bit, but my own take on it is most of the players, aside from maybe Lucas Piszczek, who's been there for a while, or Götze or Royce that are Dortmunder in that sense, Dortmunder Jungs, especially Marco Reus. Um, and you look on the Schalke side, there aren't a ton of Schalke Knappen running around there. Um, I, I don't think it plays too much into the players' minds as far as, oh crap, we can't lose against our major rival because there are so many new players over the last two seasons where they're not really into it. Honestly, judging from the press conference, Lucien Favre isn't really into it because uh, he was like, yeah, it's a derby. I know it means a lot to people. So that's what I know about it. You know, so it was just totally nonchalant. So I don't think that plays into the Dortmund players' minds at all when it comes to don't lose to your arch rival. Um, also because there's no rivalry between the managers. It's not Guardiola against Mourinho or anything like that. Um, so I think uh, the pressure... And Dortmund have such a big buffer towards second place, not to mention Schalke, which it really doesn't matter how many points different. I mean, 19 points. I mean, that's they're never going to get within touching distance of each other. Um, to me, the pressure is more on Schalke because they don't want to get embarrassed. They, at home against Dortmund in front of their supporters, knowing that their supporters are, I'm not going to say nervous or getting upset, but... If they lose this match at home and they lose it badly, looking bad, then things are going to turn, in my opinion, toxic in Gelsenkirchen with the supporters because they've been rather patient given how bad Schalke have been this season with the young manager and with Heidel and with the team. But I think a bad performance against Dortmund it all goes south pretty quickly, uh, just knowing how everybody reacts in Gelsenkirchen. So I personally believe the pressure's more on Schalke. And uh, if Dortmund would lose this match in Gelsenkirchen against a team that's not bad, that's known for playing low block uh, type of football that's really hard to break down, it wouldn't be smirch. They're... I guess their record or anything like that. Plus it would kind of get the monkey off the back as far as, Oh no, we have to worry about being undefeated this season. Um, I personally believe the pressure is much more on Schalke than on Dortmund this time around versus last year. It was, in my opinion, all the pressure was on Dortmund. You see, here's the thing. Dortmunds have the pressure a little bit on them because they 
can reignite Schalke. If we remember the 4-4 draw, I know people don't like to remember, but that for Schalke was the catalyst to their season. Like in 2010 and 2011, when, when Dortmund won the championship, there was, I think, a 3-1 win in, in which Shinji Kagawa scored a brace. Uh, Felix Magath was still the Schalke coach then. And uh, my favorite story, of course, is when he was appointed, he presented a four-year plan in uh, which Schalke should win the championship. And within these four years, uh, Dortmund won it twice, but uh, Felix Magath didn't even survive one season, I think. Um, anyway, I, I, I digress. So the thing is... Dortmund can reignite Schalke. And they are, as you said, almost pretty dead. And uh, that, of course, is a pressure because you don't want to bring them up. You don't want to be Schalke's slump buster. That is like a nightmare. But on the other hand, we've already talked about this pre-pod a little bit. Um, the chance to really kick Schalke off the cliff is enormous because... To me, it's an achievement how Christian Heidel and Domenico Tedesco have managed to keep this club quiet, um, considering how poorly they've performed this season. And uh, usually there would be much more panic. Clemens Tönnies would uh, do a build interview like every other day. And this is just not happening right now. So Schalke are relatively calm. They are very calm. But as you said, this can change quickly after the... um Porto match in the Champions League with Schalke lost 3-1. Fans were extremely unhappy with Schalke's very negative playing style and hence Tedesco changed it a little bit against Hoffenheim with the diamond and a little bit more aggression. But the thing is, you know, if the coach already feels the pressure by the fans and because of that makes adjustments just because, you know, the, the heat is getting to him. That is certainly an alarming sign for Schalke. And uh, as you said, if if Dortmund lose, uh, if if Schalke lose badly against Dortmund, then uh, it, it could be really lights out. And uh, I will stand by my claim that uh, you know if things get really you know feisty for Christian Heidel, the sporting director, then uh, Schalke is undirectable <laughs> because. Um, in my mind, he's he's a very good sporting director. And uh, to put Schalke's misery even more into perspective, because I like doing it, Dortmund have a seven-point margin to second place, while Schalke only have a five-point margin to the relegation zone. So that more or less already says it all. So, Matthias, um, how do you think Lucien Favre will approach this game? Because we know Schalke will play with the back five and as defensively as possible. Um, that's not much of a mystery, but Lucien Favre today at the press conference said that, you know, teams have to be aware, be, beware because we can change our system too. So do you anticipate anything out of the surprise box as, uh, Peter Bosch once uh, did to Tedesco? with uh, Mr. Favre? No, I do not. Not in the first half. I think uh, if there's one thing we can see from what's happened so far this season, uh, Favre seems to be more the type of manager where like, hey, we're going we're gonna to start how we start. And then if we need to change, if we need to make adjustments, we will do so. Um, I mean, the Bayon match is probably the best uh, example of that. Let's just, granted there, they set up a little bit more defensively 
not in formation, but just the way they approached it, and then they kicked it into gear. I think against well, I don't Schalke, because they, they set it up that way, they were pushed back by Bayern. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I I feel like given the reports we got as far as what Favre said at halftime, it seems like he may have told them to hold back and then unleash the beast in the second half, so to speak. I think against Schalke, it's business as usual. I mean, look at what happened against uh, Augsburg or Mainz or um, uh, Freiburg, but specifically the Bruges match. Take lessons from that. Adjust that because I expect a very similar approach from from Schalke because Tedesco is basically gleaned as much from his comments you know we don't have to play Zauberfußball, a magical attacking football you know we we play what we play and Dortmund are the favorites clearly so I think that's setting it up for we're gonna sit deep try some counterattacks, hope for some set pieces own goals and penalties because that's how Schalke get points these days it seems unless it's against Nuremberg um so it to me, I I think Favre is going to just go business as usual and then change if changes need to be made. You know, uh, don't don't rock the boat if you don't have to. Yes, I mean the most positive thing is that um, Akanji is back uh, from injury because with Zagadou being out, you just want Akanji and Diallo at center back because their pace alone will smother a lot of counterattacks for Schalke and um, that certainly is a help. I don't want to see Ömer Toprak play in the Rivier Derby in, in such a vital game. There's just too much that can go wrong and he does have these tiny positional errors here and there and I just think that, that Diallo and Akanji are a much better pairing so um, this is something I certainly uh, hopefully look forward to and I also personally because we know it's going to be a scrap. You know, it's not going to be a, a game, you know, that will be breathtaking and, uh, you know, quote unquote advertisement for the Bundesliga. That's certainly not going to happen. But we will see Axel Witzel and Thomas Delaney in midfield. And Dortmund have been bullied by Schalke in recent years quite a lot. You know, they have been outmuscled and, you know, Schalke have always been very physical with players like Bentaleb, for example, or Stambouli or whatever. Uh, they just have a lot, uh, and Burgstaller as well, they just have a lot of players that can be very physical. And uh, it's going to be nice to see that Dortmund can hold against that, because the Lenny and Witzel uh, are no jokes. <laughs> and maybe Witzel is even the, the best player in the, in the Bundesliga when it, when it comes to having the full package of being a very tall physical player and being very press resistant, you know, that doesn't happen, happen so often in, in that combination. He's maybe like Joel Embiid, like a center that can, can score. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see that Dortmund can for once, um, yeah, put something against Schalke's physicality because let's be real. Julian Weigel is just not doing that. And, um, you know, if Dortmund have to make a switch, it's not like Mahmoud Dahoud is, uh, you know, is is a wimp. He will also be very aggressive. You know, after five minutes on the field, I assume he's already in danger of 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 a double booking. So, um, yeah, that's certainly something I look forward to. Um, yeah, but if we talk about Schalke, Matthias, um, I honestly do not know who will start for them as a striker. I, I've jotted it down: um, Embolo, Ud, and Di Santo are all out. 
And there are big, big question marks behind Steve Skripsky and uh, Burgsteller. So they might not have a strike at all. Uh, Haji Wright, who played for them in the last game, I think he started even, um, he trained with the uh, reserve team today. So, um, apparently he is not an option or at least not a favorite option by, uh, Desco. That might be just last ditch. So, um, out of all this, out of all the players, do you think that Skripski and Burgstaller might be the, most dangerous players against Dortmund because Skripski already once scored against Dortmund for Union Berlin. And I think he's actually a decent striker. And um, Burgstaller is just as, as we would say, a Schlitzohr when it comes to winning penalties and shithousery and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I for me, Burgstaller would be the one I'd be most worried about just because of his physicality um, and, and the fact that Dortmund... Um, aren't necessarily the greatest team when it comes to defending balls in the air, as far as headers one and stuff like that, when it comes from a defensive standpoint. Uh, so having somebody in there with, as we say in German, mit Ecken und Kanten, uh, with, with <laughs> corners, so to speak, or rough edges, like Burgstaller, is definitely the approach that I would do if I were Tedesco and I were playing the type of, as we call it, shit house, uh, nasty, destructive, negative, horrible, unethical, <laughs> immoral football <laughs> that Schalke like to play. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I, I think uh, Burgstaller would be the one there. Also, because he's a veteran at this level, he understands a little bit more. He's been through the Rivia Dhabi now, um, and, and understands what it means, and as such, I think we'll, we'll apply a little bit more there. Uh, judging from how they played against Hoffenheim, uh, with that, you know, 4-4-2 diamond, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to say they didn't play that bad, but their strikers did play pretty poorly overall, uh, you have to say. Um, I'm, it, it's, it, it's hard to, to judge. I mean, Schalke, they're not going to play an attacking flair type match. I think they're, they're banking on not conceding and getting lucky, which seems to be, well, it's a strategy how, how that it worked for them last it, season. Yes. It worked for them last year. And, but the luck has run out to a certain, to a certain degree. Um, I, I put together, you know, I just jotted it down for myself here. We think about it last season, they scored five goals on the counter. Okay. I thought it would have been more, but 14 from set pieces, 10 additional ones from penalties. So 24 from dead ball situations and three own goals. So 27 goals in the, let's call it shit house manner. So far this season, three penalties. They, they have no, no set piece goals or counterattacking goals, but the penalty saved, it saved them again against, uh, Hoffenheim, where Hoffenheim should have won that match. So they still have some of the Schalke luck from last season. Um, but it's definitely not as it was because otherwise they wouldn't be where they are in the table. So, um, I, I don't quite know, uh, where, where they're going to get a goal because they don't score a lot. They, shoot on goal or they shoot per match about as often as Dortmund, but Dortmund get 37 goals and Schalke get 14. So obviously attacking is not their thing. Tedesco said as much. So I think it's going to be a sit back and hope, 
hope that they get a lucky goal and hope that Dortmund don't. Well, you know, um, Abel Mescheros, a friend of the pod and already on here a couple of times, uh, we chatted back and forth a little bit on WhatsApp after the press conference today. And he actually, um, you know, constructed a little uh, predicted lineup graphic. And I want to completely agree with him and how, how he uh, set it up. Um, that Schalke will basically play with a back three and then Serda and Bentaleb or Rudi in midfield and or Chipka and Kalidjuri on, on the wing backs. And you can basically see what, you know, listeners cannot see right now, but, um, that Dortmund have basically a four against five situation in Schalke's half. And on the other side, you just have a three against five situations. So, um, that sort of already shows how, how, how tilted it is. But nevertheless, um, there are spaces in behind. Lukas Pischek and, and Achaf Hakimi, of course, that, uh, I think especially Kalijiri and, and Ochipka want to attack. Um, if we, um, remember the last Revier Derby, it was, I think, Marcel Schmeisser who lost the ball on the left side, uh, with a really bad touch. And then Kalijiri was, was gone. And, uh, I don't know if he scored it himself or, or found another player. I think he did, but these are probably the situations Schalke are looking once again for. And, uh, that space is clearly still available for, for grabs. So, um, don't want to have to make sure to not lose the ball in these situations. But I think that their entire concept of building up will be much, much better than it was, um, last season under Peter Stuger because A, they will have a better plan and B, they have much better players. Um, you know, especially Diallo is a player that likes to drive forward with the ball and then just take a couple of players out of the game just by a run. And that can already make a difference. And Akanji is also pretty good in, in, in creating the play. And that alone should, should help to not run into the same freaking traps, I hope. But of course, you never know how it is when, it, when a game plays out. Um, and, uh, what, what Schalke do quite well, I think, even though, you know, their attack is not quite successful. But in, in my view, we've seen against Hoffenheim, but overall, um, is that they also like to drive. Uh, with players at, at midfielders and just try to draw them out of position and, and then start to pass other and instead of starting a combination play. Um, this is something that makes Schalke very unattractive because it's like medium successful for them. And that means, um, their football looks sometimes very silly because if you drive at a midfielder and then lose the ball, that's a, a transition moment for the opponent and, and B just looks stupid for the player who loses the ball. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a tactic that can work. And if it works, it, it creates space. Um, so I really want to see if, if Schalke do it the same because Dortmund are the best transition team in the, in the league and you don't want to lose the ball against them. And, and if Dortmund adjusts to that, if, if it happens, um, what we've seen so far this season, if, one player gets drawn out of position, let's say Witzel or Delaney move forward, then the other one immediately drops back and covers. It's the same when Diallo or Kanji move forward. Sometimes just Witzel drops back and, and, uh, you know, covers as well. And this is something we did not see last season. So, um, I'm a little bit less concerned about Dortmund getting cornered by Schalke. As you said, they didn't score many goals that way, but that's maybe one way for, for them to create chances, um, with, with Harit and, and, would chip go or so just dribbling at Pischek or Kanji or Delaney or, or something and then uh, taking the space that's created. But I honestly, 
you know, don't think that's, that's going to be something to outscore Dortmund actually, because, um, yeah, I think Dortmund, whoever plays in, in midfield, Marco Royce and Götze, I assume, and Sancho, and maybe Pulisic or Brun Larsen, um, because Brun Larsen and Delaney um, might be a little bit doubtful, um, after today. Um, they, they only were in a, in a Kraftraum in, in the gym today. But yeah, I don't know. Um, how do you see it, Matthias? How do you think Dortmund will create the chances? As they did against Freiburg, or do you think there will be actually more transition moments because Schalke have something to lose and need to go forward? I think there will be more transition moments than, say, against Bruges, for sure, because was there even a transition moment against Bruges um, and Freiburg as well? Because Schalke do have good players that also want to play and win, especially in front of the home crowd on a derby match. So I think there will be opportunities for Dortmund to use Dortmund's strengths, but then, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be a lot of them. So they have to be extraordinarily clinical with the chances provided, which Dortmund obviously have been this season. Um, very clinical overall, despite what some people think. Uh, it's just, I mean, you look at number of shots taken, shots on target and, and the goals that they've actually scored. So, uh, it's going to be a little, I'm not going to say it's going to be more open, but there may be a few more opportunities because I just don't expect Schalke to just put nine men, 10 men behind the ball and sit deep for 90 minutes. I just, A, I don't think that's going to end well for them. I think Dortmund will crack through as far as creating chances. Why not start again with Götze up top? And then if you need to bring in Paco when they're tired and worn down and their concentration levels start to drop and have him score another one after being on the pitch for two touches. Um, you need the movement, you need the patience, and you need that creativity. So, yeah, I mean, a Götze-Royce combo. I mean, I'd love to see Kagawa out there. I think, uh, obviously, he's had some great... Rivia Dabi performances in the past. I mean, that was really his breakout match when he first came to Dortmund was against Schalke. Um, and he's the kind of creative player that could possibly, through some good movements and passes, unlock a very stingy and solid Schalke defense. Yes, certainly. Um, what I really like is that um, Schalke have uh, got Sané from Hanover. Um, he, of course, is a really good defender. But um, I also think that he is someone very prone to lapses you just described. You know, when the game goes on and, you know, you you wear him down with Mario Götze and then bring Alcázar, I think that's just a perfect matchup for Dortmund um, because Alcázar is elusive as hell and Sané is just a player that... that that sometimes loses oversight and 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 loses uh, you know the feeling for where his um, attacker is and and where to position himself in 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 relation to that. So this is something I look very much forward to to happening. And um, if we talk about um, you know ways Dortmund can score, I almost assume that Dortmund will score from a set piece. Um, just because um, Schalke are not a very disciplined team, they are a very disruptive side. I I think also by design, and um, 
I just think there will be a lot of fouls from Schalke and Dortmund. Uh, I don't know where they rank, but they they have been quite uh, good with set pieces. You know, there's almost always a player that that either gets the ball on on frame or it's really really close. And I I think they haven't scored in 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 a couple of games now from set piece. I I think it's uh, it's due now. And you know, someone like Diallo or Akanji or Delaney even. Uh, might head home in, in this game. I don't know how you see it, but I'm pretty convinced that uh, you know this is a very likely scenario for Dortmund to to grab and, and nick a goal. Yeah, it's it's not going to be the fantastic attacking, entertaining display that the Bayern match was. It's definitely going to be more Bruges than Bayern in that aspect. Uh, so I, I think it'll, it will come down to the, to a, maybe a, a lucky bounce here or there, um, and type of a, a one nil, nil, nil type match. It's, it's not going to be a barn burner, people. I'm sorry to tell you. It's, I don't foresee another four all, which I think we can all agree would be a good thing uh, at this point. Uh, th- that was just a little bit too crazy. So it's going to be way more controlled than that. And, uh, yeah, it's it's overall. I just don't think it's going to be a very pretty match. No, I think we have established that uh, there have hardly been any pretty games with Schalke. To be honest, um, the the five two against Nuremberg was sort of their one odd standout game where they had a lot of chances. But that's also more down to how Nuremberg play. Really, um, I mean, they have been uh, shellacked a couple of times this season, and apparently they're not learning from it, or uh, maybe that's just how. How how they play? I mean, so far they've always managed to shake it off and recover. I mean, now they've gotten a one-all draw against Leverkusen after falling behind. So um, yeah, Nürnberg aren't quite dead, but yeah, against Schalke they uh yeah made a lot of silly mistakes. To be honest, that wasn't much of a Schalke win. Um, you know where they really deserve to score five. You know it was down to luck a little bit as well anyway um matthias i don't know if there's much more to talk about um i want to know though who should play as fullback because marcel schmelz is now fit again uh and he certainly uh, knows how the derby works would you play pishek and schmelzer or would you play hakimi and schmelzer or just keep it with the hakimi pishek setup for now well, we kind of talked about it last week. If Schmelza was fit, we would have both, I think, started him against Freiburg and put Hakimi on the bench, possibly. Um, given the lack, necessarily, of attacking flair going forward overall from Schalke, I think this is the kind of match you could put in the more veteran, disciplined players like Pischek and Schmelza, and then, if need be, throw in Hakimi for a massive change of pace. Uh, that's that's how I would personally like to see it play out, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Pishek on the right and Hakimi on the left because Favre has his first choice eleven, and for the most part, unless injuries dictate it, he doesn't seem like he really wants to change anything. Yeah, that's that's how I feel it's going to be as well. So, um, should we move over to predictions? Why, yes, yes, the high-scoring predictions will be incoming now. <laughs> All right, I, I think it's going to be a 2-0 again for Dortmund. I don't think Schalke will score, and um, 
I gotta say, I really hope it's going to be like a three nothing win, but uh, you know, it's deep down in my heart, I know it's going to be like a scrappy draw or something. But Tuna is my prediction. Uh, I'm going to be more pessimistic. I think it's going to be one nil to Dortmund. Uh, scrappy, yes. I would honestly, I'd love for a one nil with a uh, 87th minute penalty because it, it just seems like that would be justice for. Uh, what what Schalke did last season where they scored 10 penalties. I still can't believe they got 10 damn penalties last season and three own goals to benefit them. That's just insane. So that that would be, or a 2-0, like you said, would be great with a, a corner and a penalty just to win as Schalke as you can against Schalke. But I'm, I'm saying a 1-0 a for Dortmund. Yeah, all right. I, I guess uh, we'll, we'll send that out now and, and hope for the best. Um, people, I have to say the uh, times where I send out uh, match day flyers, if you get a prediction right, um, might be over soon because I'm transferring to the United States again. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll take the whole pack with me. But, uh, you know, just so you know, there might be a chance of, uh, you know, this little treat i guess ending for now just a little warning but uh keep them coming for now and uh yeah that's that should be all you can also support us if you like on patreon.com slash the yellow wall so we can uh you know pay for <laughs> interviews uh, because i today looked at my phone bill and i saw when i uh talked to Demacor again and uh, such um, that uh, I was actually charged quite a lot <laughs> by my phone company for these calls. I don't know why, but um, yeah, this is where the Patreon money goes to then, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, please do that. And you can subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And um, one little announcement, I've changed the RSS feed in the uh, SoundCloud or in, in the iTunes rather, uh, or actually Terry DeFallon has done that. Um, if there are any changes, complications or so that I cannot foresee for now um, with this show, please let me know ASAP. Um, yeah, Matthias, with that, how can people get in touch with you? Well, I, before we get to that, I did want to touch on something that we did talk about briefly or at least mentioned, and that is, of course, the link between Chelsea and Pulisic. Uh, do you think that that's real? Yes, that's real because Christian Pulisic has been uh, like playing for Chelsea or not for Chelsea, but at Chelsea at their academy for a week or so. There are links. Um, and everyone out there should actually listen to Mark Pulisic's podcast. Uh, it's called Soccer Unplugged. And... Um, a, it's very insightful. I think also interesting for you because he's just talking about coaching rather. It's not so much about Christian Pulisic, but he inadvertently revealed that, um, you know, he is in Dortmund currently or was at the recent days. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, there were also rumors about Christian Pulisic being very heavily linked to Chelsea. And uh, maybe that's because there were negotiations between, uh, him being the agent and, and Dortmund. And maybe that's, that's where the information came from, even though it came more from the, from, from England. But, um, yeah, this is certainly something to look at. There are connections between Mark Pulisic and, and Christian Pulisic because as I just said, when Pulisic was really young, he got like a, 
I guess a couple of training sessions uh, with with bigger clubs like also Barcelona and, and Chelsea. So connections are there, and it's certainly real. And I think um, it's very likely that Christian Pulisic will join Chelsea or another Premier League club at the end of this summer. Okay, more likely than Pedrinho, which was very <laughs> interesting for talk to say um, no. That there's nothing to it, which is very odd for him to come out that strongly and deny a rumor because usually it's the we don't comment on transfers. And this time in the press conference today, he flat out said, yeah, no, there's there's nothing to those rumors linking Pedrinho from Corinthians uh, with uh, Borussia Dortmund as a Pulisic replacement. Um, I know there were a few tweets this week about... Um, uh, in in the U.S. soccer world, about uh, Pulisic, you know, should go to Chelsea and should get his chance because God knows he's going to have not sit on the bench there for some reason. Um, and whether it's a good thing if he goes for 60, 70, 80 million. And you and I talked about it last week, and I said somebody's offering 70 million for Christian Pulisic right now. I'm taking it immediately. I will bite their hand off for it because I just don't think he's worth it right now. Um, so if somebody's willing to pay it, let him go, cash in the money, bring in a couple of cheaper youngsters, and uh, keep the Dortmund train rolling. I mean, if we talk about the subject, if Dortmund managed to sell Christian Pulisic for a lot of money and then in return get uh, Torgan Hazard... That would be actually a really uh, clever transfer move because I rate Torgan Hazard from Gladbach very highly. Um, he is a bit more mature than Pulisic and he has a lot of qualities as well that would fit in right with, with Dortmund. He's maybe a bit of a hybrid between Brun Larsen and, and Pulisic um, because he's a very well-run player. He, he knows how to score. He can dribble. He can combine. Um, maybe not dribble as well as Christian Pulisic, but, um, you know, and not that many players can, apart from Sancho, maybe. <laughs> um, but to me, that would be a very sensible, uh, sensible choice to do if, you know, if rumors actually, you know, hold up to be true. So yeah, as, as for that, you know, as, as sad as it would be to see Christian Pulisic leave, um, I think it's just on the cards now. And, uh, yeah, he wants to probably take the next step in his career. And it has, you know, always been on our minds that this will eventually happen. And maybe now it's the time to cash in before his market value drops even more with him being relegated to the bench more often than not because he has not started a Bundesliga match since September, which says a lot. Anyway, Matthias, um, yeah, thanks for that little sidebar. Um, since you watched the press conference, did you appreciate my shoe question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was gonna say, I was gonna start off the podcast by saying, you know, my shoes aren't blue, but I am actually wearing a blue hoodie, um, though it is not Königsblau, as uh, Zuzi Talk pointed out. It was pretty <laughs> funny. Your shoe question and his response was. Are you being serious with this question? Um, and your response of, well, half serious. So, and he actually gave a semi-serious answer. And then, you know, it just kind of lightened the mood a little bit because he was looking a little bit dour uh, up until that point. So, uh, well, well, well done. For a second there, I'm like, oh, crap. Stefan's pissed off. Michael, talk. 
<laughs> but it seems to have uh, gone down okay. <laughs> I mean, I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna uh, be gone. I, I will leave the continent in a few days anyway. So who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mean, I I personally don't care. Uh, they can play in freaking Teva sandals. But I, I do see a lot of fans out there that, you know, actually have a problem with players playing in, in blue cleats. And I cannot blame them, to be honest. So I thought uh, it was appropriate to ask that question ahead of the Revere Derby. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone out there. And uh, yeah, you can find Matthias at Matthias Zug. Can you spell it out, please? Uh, sure. M A T H I A S S U U C K. All right. And you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter and uh, follow all of us on Yellow Pot or at Yellow Pot rather on, on yellowpot.com. And that's it for this week. Until next week. Goodbye. <laughs>